Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. More organizing on campus. Machinists at Southwest Airlines work out a deal where some will see a 25% pay hike. Today on the show, the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, and we're going to check in with the head of the Duluth, Minnesota Building Trades. Welcome to the Thursday, October 27th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Bill Samuel will be our first guest on the show today, longtime supporter and contributor to America's Workforce. He is the Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. And a couple things we're going to get into. This is a weird period, and I say that because we got the elections Less than two weeks away, 12 days away. So you got to wonder, especially with the polling that's out there, how do you plan for what's going to happen after the election? That would be the lame duck period. And then you got the new year to figure out. Lots of uncertainty. And Bill is going to tell us how the Labor Federation is navigating through that right now. Will the Democrats stay in control of at least one body of government? Probably not the House, maybe the Senate. What's going to happen here with NLRB funding? That's a problem. What about trade adjustment assistance? This is one for the life of me I can't figure out. At the end of June, this program, which has been in effect since 1974 and working well and helping so many people, adjust to new jobs well on june 30th the money ran out and nobody's doing anything maybe something will happen here in the lame duck session several members of congress are working to renew funding one of them is senator sherrod brown who blamed republican lawmakers for holding trade adjustment assistance hostage probably the case who knows who knows but right now People who lose their jobs because of bad trade deals, and we're still seeing that effect, have no means to get the training they need to get a job in another sector. So we'll touch on that, and uh, we're also going to pick up on what Scott Paul talked about on Monday. Scott is the head of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. We were talking about all the policy, the good policy that came out of Washington under the Biden administration especially like the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, good industrial policy. But where do we go from here? Scott said, we need to complete this vision and take it to the next level, come up with a manufacturing policy. We also have to take a look at pharmaceuticals, battery production, mineral production. You know, there's a lot of products that are still coming over from China. Why can't we do them here? Why can't we make them here? So uh, we'll get into that as well with uh, Bill Samuel. 
Later in the show, we're going to be checking in with the Duluth Building Trades, and the president of the Duluth, Minnesota Building Trades is Andrew Campo. And the website's real simple, DuluthBuildingTrades.com. Interesting uh, background on Andrew. He was born and raised on an iron range in northern Minnesota, started working with his dad and stepdad, doing carpentry on nights, weekends, and during the summer. That's when he was 12 years old. After graduating high school, he worked full-time with his dad as a non-union carpenter until, until being offered an opportunity to apply with Local 11 of the United Association Plumbers and Steam Fitters. Well, that was a good, uh, good move. He's been with them for 18 years. Andrew says he was fortunate enough to gain acceptance in the apprenticeship program successfully, completing five years of training, got a number of licenses in doing so. He served two terms on the Local 11 Executive Board, appointed job steward, on various projects, then elected to the business manager position. That was at the end of 2017. He was only 35 when that happened. In uh, late winter of 2021, he was elected to the vice president position of the Duluth Building Trades. And then, right at the beginning of uh, 2022, he, um, he took over the presidency because the president decided to retire. So he took over that that position. Andrew's going to talk about the use of project labor agreements, primarily in uh, northern Minnesota. They have about 750 plus members in the plumbing, pipe fitting, and HVAC service industry. And we'll talk about their apprenticeship programs as well. DuluthBuildingTrades.com. Andrew Campo, who is the president, will be joining us later in the show. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Well, on Monday of this week, Unite Here, that would be Local 33, submitted thousands of union cards from Yale University's graduate researchers and graduate and professional teachers to the regional office of the National Labor Relations Board. The workers also visited the university president, Peter Solovi's office to deliver an election petition to Yale. How about that? Local 33 posted this on their site. This is a historic moment in the 30-year campaign for a graduate worker union at Yale. This is the biggest group of teachers and researchers that has ever had the chance to form a union there. All semester, we have been organizing together, and now we are ready to win together. We're seeing a whole lot of this happen because, uh, especially the uh, graduate researchers, I mean, yeah, they get tuition taken care of, but the amount of work that they do doesn't really uh, amount to much as far as, like, pay and uh, and adjuncts. That's another issue, too. You see adjuncts. And almost anybody can be an adjunct. If you have some experience in your career, you can be an adjunct professor. And you'll probably be making, for one semester, maybe three or four or $5,000. That's it. Where regular professors are making well over six figures. The uh, Machinists Union have reached a new tentative agreement with Southwest Airlines. 
that would provide its members between a 16 and 25% wage increase. Now, this would be over four years, and it would place its members at the top of the industry's pay scale, the airline industry. The five-year tentative agreement includes several improvements over the previous failed tentative agreement. This would include higher wage increases and bonuses, stronger overtime provisions, and me-too clauses for top-of-scale wage rates, plus signing bonuses, retro pay, and paid parking. Boy, they got it all. Richard Johnson is um, a general vice president for the IAM's Air Transport Territory. This is what he said. IAM members at Southwest Air have made their strength and voices heard. The Machinist Union continues to negotiate agreements that make history for our members and raise the bar for all airline workers. The IAM represents about 8,300 customer service employees at Southwest Airlines. You know the key to that, what he's just said there, raising the bar. That's so important. How many times have you heard that unions lift all boats, even in non-union occupations? Because if they're going to get that kind of pay, they're going to see people from other airlines or a non-union facility say, you know what, I'm going to Southwest to work. They're going to pay me well. They're, uh, I think, the most unionized airline right now. Striketober, not too much left in this month, but Striketober continues for Starbucks workers while negotiations stall and the company files charges. Boy, this is crazy what's going on for those uh, people that want to unionize. Starbucks representatives walked out. They walked out of the first day of bargaining, which was Tuesday. The company cited objections to workers joining bargaining virtually and alleged that the union unlawfully recorded negotiations. Starbucks then filed unfair labor practice charges against the union. Starbucks Workers United was quick to respond, highlighting that past ULP charges filed by Starbucks have been readily dismissed by the labor board. Starbucks workers themselves have registered hundreds of violations against the company. At the same time, well, momentum continues. Yesterday, Starbucks workers at the New York City Roastery went on strike. And new Starbucks locations voted to join the union. You know, this company, <laughs> it's about time they realize they're not winning this war. They're really not winning this war. But they're going to continue doing their uh, crazy little antics here. But uh, hats off to the uh, union. Again, that's uh, Starbucks Workers United. They're not affiliated with uh, any other union. Similar like the uh, Amazon Labor Union. And they chose not to affiliate because they want to do things a little bit differently. And they're making some progress. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. 
From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Before we get to a Bill Samuel, I want to put a plug in for our guest that we had on yesterday. That was Wes Trottershod. He's the president of uh, Teamsters Local 519 in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're talking about what they're trying to do, the right wing is trying to do. This would be Amendment 1, which would enshrine right-to-work laws. They've been a right-to-work state in Tennessee for a long time and it would enshrine it in the Constitution. It's really interesting because of the the way they have this uh, laid out. It's uh, whatever the governor's race pulls as far as voting goes. Like, for instance, say there's a million votes cast. Amendment 1 would need 500,000 votes plus 1 to pass. Okay? <laughs> Convoluted, but that's how they have it set up down there. And... Um, if you vote no on it, well, obviously, Labor is saying you got to vote no on it or don't vote at all. It's considered a no vote. You might want to check out that show because it's interesting how they put this on the ballot. And that is to confuse voters. Let's be honest here. But uh, that would be awfpodcast.com. And just the opposite is happening in Illinois. We've been talking about this on the show. They have a workers' rights amendment on the ballot. And that would uh, basically enshrine collective bargaining in the Constitution and ban, ban future right-to-work laws. And obviously, they're getting some pushback from uh, people like the Chamber of Commerce and the Manufacturers Association. So important elections out there. Let's go to our live line right now and 
couple of years ago, I remember talking to Bill Samuel about uh, preparing for a Biden presidency because the polling looked pretty good. And of course, there there was a battle to get to get Biden in the White House. And I'm not going to get into that story. We all know what I'm talking about. But right now, how do you prepare for the next Congress or the lame duck session? Bill Samuel is our government affairs director of the AFL-CIO. Bill, welcome to the show. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes right now. This has got to be kind of confusing, don't you think? Yeah, well, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, we don't know what the ter- you know what the outcome is going to be. We have to be prepared either way. Now, the lame duck session, of course, you know, begins right after the election. I think they come back the next week, uh, the House and Senate, and that will be the existing Congress. So Democrats will still be in charge. Hopefully, they will become January third when the new Congress is sworn in. But but we're ready for the lame duck, and you know, you you don't know what the mood is going to be like. Are Republicans going to feel? Uh, you know, empowered, or are the Democrats going to feel relieved? It's hard to know. Um, there are certain things they have to get done. They've got to fund the government right now. There's a, what they call a continuing appropriations resolution, which just sort of kicked the can down the road. That expires December 16th, so they're going to have a big funding cliff uh, in the middle of December. They've got to resolve that with a with a new appropriation bill for the entire government. Um, so that's one thing. There are some expiring tax provisions. Uh, there's some things we want to get done in that month-long lame duck. We want to properly fund the National Labor Relations Board, which has been starved for nearly 10 years. Uh, Democrats really got to stiffen their spine on that one and uh, insist that we fund the NLRB. Um, we want to reauthorize or continue with the Trade Adjustment Assistance Program, which expired last June, June of this year, uh, with you know, tens of thousands of workers depend on that program when they lose their job for training and other forms of assistance. So there's some things we have to get done during the lame duck. And all the while, we'll be preparing for January 3rd when the new Congress gets sworn in. And I, at this point, I can't tell you what that's going to look like, we hope. <laughs> you know, we got our fingers crossed that we'll have uh, pro-labor majorities in the House and Senate. Um, we have that now, and it's been pretty it's been pretty good. I mean, we've had a good string of successes the economy is not great, but it's not it's terrible. We've got very low unemployment. Obviously, inflation is a, a big concern. That's a global concern. Um, so I don't know how it's going to turn out, but we'll, we'll, we'll be ready either way. Let me ask you this. The, the policies that came out of the White House cost money. Let's be honest here. I mean, trillions of dollars. And uh, there's some, well, on one side, you know, you have the left and the right. They're saying because of government spending, that's causing prices to go up. Well, what's the AFL-CIO's position on that? Is there any Yeah, we don't think that? that's the cause of prices going up. In fact, you know, some of the spending, uh, much of it was offset by an increase in taxes on the wealthy and big corporations, something we've been advocating for a long time to make the wealthy pay their fair share. So this most recent bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which funds the climate provisions and prescription drug uh, caps, um, that was totally funded. Now, during COVID, when they passed the American Recovery Plan, uh, that wasn't paid for. That was a, that was really a stimulus measure. First of all, it was an emergency. We had to get the, the vaccines out and the test mm-hmm. kits. We had to keep people employed to the extent we could. If they were unemployed, we had to make sure they could have enough food enough money to put food on the table and that in some ways that stimulates the economy so that's that that doesn't lead to inflation now if you overdo it if you just throw money at people sure then you can uh, then you can cause a uh, inflationary 
um, spike. But that's not what happened. What caused this round of inflation, we think, is, is really the result of the pandemic. Too few goods. You know, the, we had supply chain interruptions. We now have the war in Ukraine, uh, cutting, uh, cutting into food supplies, energy supplies. That's what's raising the price for those goods. Um, it's not spending, and, and I think that's that's just a, a you know a shop worn argument of those who don't like government, who don't want to raise taxes to pay for government services. Um, it's it's not a new debate, and we think it's just wrong. And, and didn't the previous administration increase spending on a lot of programs and and, oh, and sure. raise the deficit? Wasn't that true? That's exactly right. Biden under Biden, the deficit has shrunk. Uh, it was the Republican administration that cut taxes and didn't pay for it, so that we just had, you know, uh, less revenue coming in, more money in the pockets of wealthy people and corporations. They didn't spend it, by the way, investing in the economy. You know, they they uh, spent most of it rewarding shareholders and CEOs and executives and buying back stock to raise the price. Um, so, I, you know, I think the economic arguments really are all on our side. The problem is. Uh, it's it's you know it's pretty academic stuff and people don't you know it's it's easier to say oh the Democrats uh, you know overspent and caused inflation that's a pretty easy soundbite it's just not it's just not correct. Okay, let's talk about the the polling right now, and um, I'm sure you've been watching that. It pretty much has indicated that the House will probably go to Republicans. The Senate's a toss up, but. There's a chance it could stay in Democratic hands. Do you follow those polls? Do you plan with those polls? And you know that they're not always that accurate, but I'm just yeah. wondering. What- I mean, you know, I, I try not to watch the day-to-day movement in polls. I think a lot of this is just too ang- it just produces too much anxiety. But, you know, the trends don't look great. On the other hand, we don't really know. I mean, we don't know the effect of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. We don't know how younger voters are going to turn out. You know, is it is it in fact true that the uh, uh, Latinos are trending Republican? Probably not. I think that's been overstated. Um, you know, will African American voters turn out? Do they see enough in the Democratic Party to make it worth turning out as they did, for example, for Barack Obama, for uh, Raphael Warnock uh, in uh, Georgia during the special election last year, or the runoff election? We don't know the answer to those things. You know, the and then you you know you look at the results of early voting, which they're already coming in. The voting has already started in a lot of states. It seems pretty good. Turnout seems high. Now, our voters, you know, working class voters, uh, women, young voters seem to be uh, voting in in good numbers. So that's that's all good. But yes, we have to be prepared either way. And if you look at the next Congress and who would be in charge if Republicans do sweep, it's pretty dismal. Um, now Joe Biden will still be president for two years, so it's you know it's not that frightening. They can't pass laws without the president signing them. And they certainly won't have a veto-proof majority. So I think we just may have a stalemate for two yeah. years if if the Republicans sweep. But we don't know that they're going to. The Senate yeah. is a, on a knife's edge, as you know. It could be 51-49, 50-50, you know, as it is now. Um, we just don't know. So every vote counts. I'm sure you say that all the time. I'm headed to Ohio in a couple of days, actually, to campaign there. You know, the whole AFL our headquarters empties out. So that, you know, we sort of fan out across the country just to lend a hand. I'll be knocking on doors like a lot of other people. Um, so we'll see. I, 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 I have I still have big hopes for Tim Ryan. I think he's a great candidate. Great work. Oh, class, yeah. Pro, pro Super candidate. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, it, it's important to get out the vote and educate uh, members. And I want to tell you this. I'm seeing a lot of our union brothers and sisters that have gotten involved in the political process. And I, I, I tell you, what's going on in New Jersey is amazing. Forty-nine union member candidates throughout the state are on the ballot in one state. Forty-nine. Yeah, they had a great, a great program um, putting union members uh, into office all at all levels, from you know uh, city, county, uh, federal. Um, They've had that program for a long time. Other states are matching, you know, or trying to uh, match it. Um, I don't have the numbers on the on the rest of the country, but um, you know, first of all, union members are the best messengers uh, for other union households. So that you know, as far as canvassing and worksite conversations, nothing beats union members having conversations with their colleagues and then electing them to office. Obviously, they've got that in their in their blood, in their bloodstream to be uh, concerned about working family issues. Um, we've got some in Congress, um, which is which is good, and and they've been uh, a big help to us in passing the Protecting the Right to Organize Act and a lot of other, in, at least in the House and a lot of other pro-worker uh, bills. And then that certainly happens in state legislatures and at the county level. So the more the more union members we can elect, the better. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, and Democrat California. and Republican, by the way, they're not all sure, not all Democrats. Sure. Right, right. And in California, there's a union organizer running for a state office. Uh, Pilar Shivo comes from a union family and has been endorsed by more than 50 unions. And she is fighting to unseat an anti-union incumbent. Boy, there's one to watch. I like that. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Bill Samuel joining us on our live line, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. Do check out their uh, national website, aflcio.org. A lot of good information about uh, voting, canvassing, making sure you want to do a labor walk. Do check that out. Later in the show, Andrew Campo will be joining us on behalf of the Duluth Building Trains. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce Radio and Podcast. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's CWAD4.org. 
The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity to sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating, we always like those five-star ratings. So keep them coming. Let's go back to our live line from Washington today. Bill Samuel, government affairs director of the AFL-CIO. Bill, uh, we had a really good conversation with uh, Scott Paul a couple days ago. This was on Monday. Scott, of course, the president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. He was touting the fact that, yeah, we got some good policy coming out of Washington, the the infrastructure law, the CHIPS Act, um, all good policies creating jobs and will create more jobs down the road. But implementation is very, very important. And he also brought up uh, trade, trade enforcement. There's a lot of areas that we're way behind on, especially when it comes to uh, battery production, I know they're doing EV plants here, but it's going to take some time. Mineral production. I know China seems to have a lock on that. Pharmaceuticals. I mean, there's a lot of sectors that uh, have gone overseas, and we need to do a better job in bringing them back here. And uh, I don't know if this next Congress, I'm certainly lame duck, I don't expect anything there, but what's your take on all of this? We, 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 got, we got a good start but we got to take it all the way to the finish line. You follow me on this? No, no, we do. Absolutely. The laws that Congress passed, the, the, the legislation that got, got uh, done last year, is, is just the beginning, as Scott said, and, and as you're pointing out. Uh, we now have to implement them and then enforce them. So the agencies that are in charge of providing the funding, the tax breaks to incentivize uh, American businesses, you know, the, the law says we want to bring supply chains back. Now we actually have to do it. We have to make it economical for companies to sign up uh, and, and to open factories and to and to and to you know commit to the uh, the mining and, and other uh, uh, economic activities that will actually create the jobs here. It, it doesn't happen because Congress says it should happen. It now, you know, the, the money has to flow with the conditions that Congress set out in the law. And then they have to be enforced. You can't, you can't, you can't give big exemptions and loopholes. Otherwise, you end up right back where you started. So it's complicated. You're down into the bowels of these agencies: Department of Energy, Department of Commerce, Transportation. These are big federal bureaucracies. I mean, I'm 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 a fan of bureaucracies because these are career staff. Uh, who just want to do a good job for the American people, but um, they're going to have to really be watched over uh, by the political leadership of the agencies in the White House. And that's what we do in Washington, by the way. We lobby Congress, but we also spend a lot of time uh, in and out of these federal agencies to make sure they're doing what Congress uh, is expecting them to do. So, you know, in in terms of uh, electric vehicles, uh, uh, semiconductor plants, yeah, Congress said we're going to fund 
uh, fund those. We want to see them back on shore, and we want them to uh, be open to workers who want to join a union. But now the, those conditions actually have to be met and enforced by the federal government, and that's that's what has to happen next. So Scott's exactly right. Um, there's a lot of work left to be done. Scott pointed out uh, over the years they uh, imposed import fees on on a lot of products. So the companies would, okay, if there's a fee on that, maybe they will relocate to the United States. But apparently there's loopholes in that, so they're able to skirt the fees. So that's a problem. They have a lot of lawyers in these companies. We're not dealing with small fries here. These are major multinational corporations, and they're going to figure out every way they can to save a buck. Uh, you know, we're not against, uh, you know, frugality, but if it means laying off U.S. workers, uh, you know, hanging U.S. communities out to dry to save shareholders money, we're not for that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of hand-to-hand combat, frankly. You know, you pass yeah. the law and then you've you got to get in there and make sure it gets uh, implemented as Congress intended and then enforced um, so that there aren't, so the loopholes aren't exploited uh, and there aren't workarounds to enable companies to get away with, uh, you know, to get away with this kind of thing. Bill, if you don't mind, let's turn the page to a trade adjustment assistance. Now, this has been a very successful program since it started, and it's a long-running program. It goes back to 1974. Helped a whole lot of workers. I want to tell a quick story about Kim Brewer. When Kim lost his steel job, steel mill job, this was at McLuth Steel back in 96. He was 40 at the time. He didn't know what he was going to do with the rest of his life. He worked for 20 years in the mill. This is in the Detroit area. Well, guess what? He gets help from Trade Adjustment Assistance, the federal program that provides benefits and retraining for workers who are laid off because of what happened. Bad trade deal. He learned a new trade, became an airline mechanic, and he's doing really well today. Then on June 30th, Congress said, we're not going to fund this program anymore. You know there's a lot of Kim Brewers out there. I'm just yeah. wondering, what the heck is going on with this? Yeah, they let it expire. Um, I, I, I will say that Democrats had a lot on their plate at the time. They were trying to pass the Inflation Reduction Act. We urged them to put the uh, ex- extension of trade adjustment assistance in there so it wouldn't expire. We, we, we weren't able to convince enough senators uh, to do that. I, I will say that uh, a very influential House member, Yesterday, he chairs the trade subcommittee, Earl Blumenauer, said, we're not giving the uh, industry what they want as far as uh, these expiring trade provisions. These are things that help individual companies unless we get TAA. So Democrats in the House, at least, we hope some in the Senate will play hardball and make sure they re-up trade adjustment assistance. Um, but you're absolutely right. And there's another point, by the way, getting back to the earlier conversation. We're going to be creating all these new uh, jobs and industries, whether it's electric batteries, semiconductor manufacturing. There are new jobs that people are going to have to be trained for. So if, if people are losing jobs because of unfair trade in other sectors or because the economy is shifting, maybe away from fossil fuels in some cases, uh, there are jobs being created, and we, we need to provide a bridge for people, both the assistance they need, the health insurance and the training to take these new jobs. And that's, that's, a, that's a dynamic economy we're describing, but all the pieces have to be in place, including those retraining programs like trade adjustment assistance. So it's really important that Congress pay attention to that before they go home uh, in, at the end of the year. I want to point out a study by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and they did this study about four years ago in 2018. They found that after 10 years, TAA 
trained workers earned about $50,000 more than those that did not take part in the program because they got good jobs like like him Brewer airline mechanic yeah, you know he's getting right. yeah he's getting good money right now so yep. yeah it it's amazing and Sherrod Brown you know Sherrod pretty well great senator from the state of Ohio he says that the uh, the Republicans are holding TAA hostage. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, they are. There are some Republicans who want to, you know, sort of kickstart uh, trade negotiations. You know, we killed TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, uh, five years ago, uh, when at the end of the Obama administration, labor movement did had mostly. Um, and now uh, Republicans want to restart those negotiations, and they're holding TAA hostage, saying we're not going to vote to provide these benefits for laid-off workers unless we get trade negotiations restarted. Uh, under under TPA Trade Promotion Authority, that's the law they want to pass. Uh, I, 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 as I said, there's there, there's at least a group of influential House members who saying no way. There's some other trade things we might agree to, like the continuation of the generalized system of preferences. That's a small trade be, uh, deal for underdeveloped countries. Well, we we may reauthorize that in exchange for TAA, but we're not giving you Trade Promotion Authority. Uh, the, the ability to to re, you know to kickstart TPP negotiations. So it's going to yeah. be a, a struggle. But I, I will say we've got some good fighters on our side too. Well, that's good to hear. I come from the school. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. In this case, <laughs> keep it keep it going. If it's working, right. keep it going. You know. Jeez. Yeah, no, it's very short sighted. As I said, the economy is is shifting. We're going through a big transition here, and and retraining is a big part of that. And labor does a good job of that. We've been doing that in the construction trades for, you know, a hundred years. But there's a lot of manufacturing jobs being created in new industries, and we need to train people for those. And we've got enough people shifting from one sector to another that there's going to be a steady pipeline of workers who need that help. Okay, one more here. You touched on this in the first segment, uh, funding for the National Labor Relations Board. And did I hear correctly, it's pretty pretty, pretty stagnant for almost a decade now? As oh, my far God, as- yeah. Since 2000, I think the last increase they got was 2012. It's been 10 years. They've wow. been starved. It's a very uh, intentional effort by Republicans and, and pro-business, the pro-business lobby uh, to, to, you know, um, uh, take the teeth out of the labor the labor board to you know tie its hands behind its back so they can't enforce uh, the law and and democrats i think have kind of been i mean they're not supporting that effort but they just haven't fought back hard enough frankly it's a small agency but it's really important to people to workers who want to organize and bargain so 10, ten years they've been they've been basically there they haven't gotten any new funding it's been it's been sort of leveled off but the workload is increasing particularly now that more workers are organizing you look yep. at starbucks and amazon and kroger and rei i mean the list goes on um uh trader joe's so that so the, we need more cops on the beat so to speak at the nlrb uh and they need a they need a budget infusion we're not talking about a lot of money here we're talking like 40 million dollars i mean the defense department spends that every 15 minutes but the <laughs> the right wing they hate the National Labor Relations Board. Oh, in the yeah. same way they, I suppose, they hate the IRS, which is maybe a little more controversial. But the NLRB is doing a good job protecting workers, and they need some additional staff and resources to do it. And that's that has to happen during this lame duck session before the end of the year. Well, you know those IRS workers, they're going to come pounding on your door with guns <laughs> right. and take your money away. 
Yeah, well, that's how the that's how the chamber probably views the NLRB, which is a good thing. They should be. Afraid. Oh my gosh, <laughs> crazy stuff! Crazy. I don't know how you do it. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. Do check them out. Take care. We'll have a real interesting conversation next month after the election. Okay, my friend. Well, looking forward to it. Thanks. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Andrew Campo is the president of the Duluth Building Trades. He'll be coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to uh, northern Minnesota right now. And joining us on line number two is Andrew Campo. Andrew is president of the Duluth, Minnesota Building Trades, website DuluthBuildingTrades.com. And he started out as an apprentice. Well, (laughs) earlier than that, he was doing some carpentry with his dad at the age of 12. Then he found the union program. Andrew, welcome to uh, America's Workforce. I I, uh, I have to ask you here. Now, did De- when you were 12, did he say, Andrew, you're going to do this and you're going to follow what I say? Is that how it kind of came down? Well, in a sense, yes. Thanks for having me. Um, growing up in northern Minnesota, that's that's just what you do. You're expected to work. And if you can help you can help out on nights and weekends with, with your parents and what they do, that's that's just what you do. So that's part of living up there. But yes, to answer your question, it was. Um, I gotcha. I gotcha. I see you did a lot of carpentry on nights and weekends, and then you found your way when you graduated. 
You applied with Local 11 with the United Association of Plumbers and Steam Fitters. Now, did somebody tell you you got to go to Local 11? How, how did that uh, How did that pan out? Well, I was fortunate enough. Um, my neighbor was a member of Local 455, uh, or St. Paul Steam Fitters. He was a longtime member with them and offered me the opportunity to apply with an apprenticeship program with the United Association. And he knew some people at Local 11 in Duluth, so kind of guided me in that direction. Okay. And you worked your way up all the way to a business manager, and then you took over as president. What was it, earlier this year when we became president of the uh, Duluth Building Trades? How did did that uh, materialize? Yeah, that is correct. Our longtime president and very good friend of mine, Craig Olson, kind of unexpectedly retired. Um, Craig had been our our president with the Duluth Building Trades for 25 years. And um, needless to say, some really big shoes to fill. Craig did a phenomenal job for us over those 25 years uh, in the same breath. Always good to see uh, somebody retire. Craig had a good long career as the business manager of IU Pat Local 106, the International Painters, Allied Crafts in the Duluth area, and was our building trades president and hung that up earlier this year. I was the vice president at that point after a lot of discussions with the, with the uh, affiliates, uh, with their support. Um, I ran, uh, we had a special election, and I ran unopposed and was elected unanimously as the president of the Duluth Building Trades. So that's how I ended up there. So how many members in the Duluth, Minnesota building trades right now, Andrew? So we have 17 affiliated uh, building trades unions within the Duluth building trades, uh, encompassing almost 7,000 building trades members within those unions. Very good. And I see uh, UA Local 11 has about 750-plus members in plumbing, pipe fitting, HVAC. How's up? How's work over there? Northern Minnesota. I, I know you get some nasty winters up there. Just uh, just wondering about the work and what you see in the months and probably in 2023. Well, well, you, you're absolutely right. We get some nasty winters, but that, once again, is just part of living in, in that area of the world for us. Uh, we, we, were, we still work, um, whether it's 20 blowout or whether it's 90 degrees. As far as work goes, we are extremely fortunate to be very busy in our, in our within our area. Um, you know, we're we're just wrapping up a billion dollar hospital project. Our commercial market is extremely strong. We have a paper mill that was mothballed over in West Duluth. Now they're retrofitting that to make some new products there. Uh, we're working with that that company and the contractors to do that. As far as 2023 goes. I think we're going to be in the same situation with lead times on materials and the global market changing and our con- our signatory contractors in the area have had to adapt to that. So now we're seeing a lot more projects bid in our area with a longer lead time. So where we used to see maybe six to eight months of the lead time on a project for bid, we're seeing up to a year, which in turn gives us a really good uh, outlook and a grasp on, on what's coming for work. We've been busy for going on two, two to three years now, and I expect us to remain just as busy for the next two to three years. Very fortunate. That's interesting what you said about the lead time. So that kind of gives you a heads up, especially when it comes to getting more apprentices, 
Can we get into that? How, how's your uh, apprenticeship programs doing over there in northern Minnesota? Absolutely. Our apprenticeship programs are, are thriving. And uh, as anyone in the industry knows, uh, building trades reg- registered apprenticeship programs are the gold standard across the nation for supplying skilled workforce to those signatory contractors in the building trades industries. Um, we're once again very fortunate. All of the trades have very, very good application numbers. Um, with that being said, though, we're kind of on the tail end at this point of the baby boomer generation retiring in all of our organizations. So we're trying to backfill that. And then just with the mass amount of work that we have, um, we're trying to add more apprentices in any way we can with that problem as well. So it's a good problem to have. Um, all of us are stepping up. All those 17 affiliated unions are stepping up. Uh, we're training more, um, we're bringing in more individuals, and that's whether through apprenticeship program or organizing, just to fill those needs. Andrew, is there one trade that's needed more than some of the others, or maybe two? I'm just wondering, or is it across the board right now? It's it's really across the board. Um, it, it's 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 everything from millwrights to carpenters to electricians, plumbers, pipe fitters. Uh, teamsters, iron workers, it's it's all the trades, laborers, you name it. Um, we're every everyone seems to be in need of people right now. We're no different than what we're seeing across the nation, which is a shortage of workforce. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I can't really point to one. Yeah. Now I know you were raised on an iron range, and I know there's a lot of mining up there, iron ore. Is that still pretty strong there? It is. Yes, it is. We do see a really strong uh, mining community in the northern part of Minnesota where I was raised on the Iron Range. Now, we are starting to see, we are starting to get some traction with some larger projects uh, concerning precious metals mining. And we have a couple that are looming up. Hopefully that we can get permitted. We're working with those elected officials in the state of Minnesota and and local government to try and get that stuff permitted and rolling. And that can be kind of a contentious subject uh, when it comes to that precious metals mining, just like pipelines. You have a certain amount of people that just oppose that. But we know in northern Minnesota that the building trades members that live there and work there are going to are going to make those projects successful. Um, yeah. We're going to protect the environment. We're going to build it right, and we're going to get it done. Yeah. Oh, we need those precious metals, too. I mean, China, for years, they've they've had the lock on that, and we have. We have the materials here in the United States, but if we could uh, yeah, get through some of the battles here with the environmentalists, I, I get you on that, because people want their devices. I mean, the, those go into the chips. They go into the, the products that we use and love eat every day. Uh, project labor agreements. I want to get into that. How, how are we faring? You, you mentioned a couple of big projects over there. Are we getting PLAs on them? Yes, we are. And, and that goes back to the work that the building trades have done as a collective. Uh, once again, we're very fortunate in that aspect. Uh, we lead the nation in the Duluth uh, area, northern Minnesota, on project labor agreements. That's the gold standard in the industry. It ensures that these projects are completed on time in a safe manner, most often under budget. Good, That's good to hear. Workforce in the industry. So, yeah, so the vast majority of our projects in the area are performed under a project labor agreement. 
Andrew, you, you briefly touched on on the politics. Uh, you know, the fight obviously with the with the environmentalists on on a couple issues dealing with the precious metals. But but then again, you know, people have to understand who they're voting for, and who's supporting unions, who's not supporting unions, who's on the side of unions when it comes to uh, PLAs and things of that nature. I have to ask you, as president of the uh, of the building trades over there, uh, and I know this, I, I know part of the answer here. It's, it's. I'd like to get your perspective on this because some people, they're wrapped up in some of the social issues, the culture wars, and it may not be in their best interest for some of the people that they're voting for. What's your uh, What's your response to all that, Andrew? And that's. That's really a large conversation that all of us in the building trades have with our, our prospective memberships, and it can be very frustrating. All of us as union leadership, we don't we don't so much touch on the social issues. We work with the politicians, and we look at the people running for office that are going to support us, support our membership, and support our way of life. And you hit the nail on the head. Um, not every politician has that agenda. Certainly we saw it in Wisconsin with Scott Walker and Right to Work. That was that was extremely detrimental to every every union over there. So um, it, it can be frustrating, and all we can do is try and educate our membership on what's going to be best for them and their family in the long term. With that being said, though, they do get wrapped up in the social issues, um, and that's, that's not something we're so concerned about all the time. We look at yeah. Project Labor Agreements, Davis-Bacon, Prevailing Wage. Who's going to support the projects and the funding for those projects that put our members to work daily? And a big thank you you know, to the White House administration that we have right now. We're finally seeing a president and a White House administration that talks about infrastructure, talks about unions, talks about labor. And they're putting their money where their mouth is. With that infrastructure bill, both the state of Minnesota and Wisconsin are looking at $7 billion, and that's going to create a lot of, of projects. It's going to put food on the table. It's going to allow our members to buy vehicles and houses and send their kids to college. So it's really just trying to educate um, all of our prospective memberships, and I, I feel like our, our group, our elected, whether they're agents, reps, business managers, that that's uh that can be a struggle for all of us sometimes. But just trying to open our membership's eyes to you know really who supports them and their way of life. Yeah, that's a twenty four seven battle. You got it, my friend. Andrew Campo joining us on our live line today. He is the president of the Duluth, Minnesota Building Trades, DuluthBuildingTrades.com. Big chunk of northern Minnesota and part of uh, Wisconsin there. So you got your hands full, buddy. Well, hang in there. Stay in touch with us. We'll talk down the road, okay, my brother? Thank you very much. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to check in with the United Steelworkers and the Southeast Minnesota Building Trades. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.